We are excited. We are super excited this year. I know it's, I know it's been talked about a lot, but we really are to see what Set Free Care, giving um, Joanne and Mal the full capacity to work there and, and focus on that and grow that, and also for, for here for us to put teams in place that can share the load and lift things. Um, it's, I'm really excited for what's going to happen there. So I just want to honour both of you guys for the, the work that you put in and for the effort that you've uh, given. Alrighty. Yeah, give them a clap. Go on, give them a clap. So there's quite a few things rolling around uh, in my head at the moment, and I I want to try and stay on track. But I've been I've been challenged lately. If if any of you guys follow Christian people on on social media, there's been a lot of uh, cry out um, recently for for God to move in Australia, for God's presence to come in this place, to move um, in in cities and and in this nation. And on upon thinking about that and looking at a number of different prophets from around the world, a number of different uh, church leaders from around the world, I started thinking to myself, what does that look like for us? And why is it that we're not seeing this thing? You know, what does, what are we actually looking for in that? So I started thinking, God, and, and asking God, what is your presence? What does your presence actually look like? And for a lot of us, instantly we think, especially in, in charismatic churches like the one we sit in now, we're thinking, you know, the, the healings and the, the glory clouds and the gold dust and, and those types of things while, while they are God's presence, that's not the limit of God's presence. And I think quite a bit in the charismatic church, I'm, I'm not being uh, down-putting, rather just trying to look at it to see how we change it, is the fact that we've limited God's presence to that. And if we're not seeing that, then we start going, okay, well, we're not getting God's presence. And the reality of that then comes to the fact that we have to get fancy preachers and teachers in who bring God's presence, because that's the only way that we can, we can bring that. I had a friend say to me, you know, that they had someone who was sick, and for a long time they thought if I could just get them to one of the, the American healers, then they would be okay. That's terrible thinking for us as the church. That's, that's shocking, a shocking way to put God in the box when we go, the only way that His presence can come is if certain people can bring it. Now, yes, God does anoint those people to bring certain gifts into the house. However, that's not the only limit of God's presence that we see in the house. So you start looking around at your church and we have people start going, well, I can't really stay in this church because we're not really seeing signs and wonders, therefore God's presence isn't there, so I need to go somewhere where I can find God's presence. And my question a lot of the time, which is often challenging, what are you doing to usher the presence of God into the house that you're in? And I am challenged myself to realize, A, how do I know when God's presence is actually manifesting in a place? And B, what am I doing to encourage that within the community of which I sit? So I want to speak, I want to crack the tin of worms just open a little bit because this discussion is one that is incredibly gigantic and theologians and men much more intelligent than I have been bouncing this backwards and forwards as to what it actually looks like for God's presence to rest. But the Bible does give us a clear indication of what God's presence looks like. And can I tell you, it looks very different to the thing that we think that it looks like. And again, I don't want to discourage signs and wonders because, yes, it is incredible. We've, And I'm sure, as many of have seen God move in that way in incredible ways. And I don't want to discourage that nor stop that from moving. But I just want us to understand that, that God's presence is much bigger than 
than we originally think. If you're taking notes, I want to just toss a, f- a couple of things out. The first one I want to talk on was man was made for the presence of God. So that's the first point. Chatty, can you help me with something? Can you, I need you to come and just stand by me for a second. Yeah, come, 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 come. You will need notes, but that's okay. I'll get you a chance. Hold this box and hold this up. You might have to hold it for a long time, so it'll give you good guns. Um, I first saw this. I first saw, I can see Brad peering at it, and he's going to start to get the giggles in a moment. We first saw, I saw a friend of mine do this demonstration um, in Sri Lanka, and we were very tired, and he was explaining to um, a lot of different uh, religions this, this what he called his... Uh, his teabag preach and when it's when you've been ministering all day and been on a bus for 12 hours Brad and I found that quite hilarious but nonetheless um, I want to show this because I think it I think it is such a simple example of the fact that that God created us to be with him and I know we're all thinking okay that's simple I understand that but when we when we actually begin to understand the fact that we were created to be with our creator we start to understand the presence of God is with me all the time but sometimes I fail to understand that's there. So this very example was was God in, the, in or God God's creation in the Garden of Eden. A tea bag, if you can't see, it's a tea bag, represents God. And the understanding of this of this tea bag is that the tea that's inside it is humankind. That when we, we when we were created in the Garden of Eden, we were created inside of God. We were created as a part of Him, created to be with Him. It's it's interesting to me that the Bible is is forward on saying that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, his spirit. He walked with them. So he didn't just create them and go, okay, there you are, good luck, do what I need you to do. He created them in this model and he was with them and in them. But the unfortunate, the unfortunate thing that happened when, when Adam and Eve sinned was that, oh, we're going to have to clean that, you and I, was that when we sinned, we dropped away from God and we fell into the world and we lost the connection that we originally had with God. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that originally we were always created to be with God. But in, in the sin and the nature of that, which we've discussed time and time again in the fact that, that Adam couldn't, couldn't see what he was doing and Eve couldn't see what they were doing because they were, were blinded by the fact they didn't believe God, they entered sin and they left the presence of God. And entered the world. Thanks, God. Does that does that does everyone understand that? So the fact of, of what I'm trying to explain to you is that initially we were created to be with the presence of our Creator all the time. Now, as we all know the story, we left that, we we went into the world, and the gospel started there. That's where the gospel starts. That God created man to be with him. He, the, the gospel doesn't start at the fall because it starts with a beautiful picture. It starts with what it was meant to actually look like. Man in the presence with his creator. But what happened when we made the mistake was we left that, and that's where people tend to start the story, but they forget the beautiful picture of what it actually looked like. And the rest of the gospel is about our Savior coming to return us back to our, our original image with God. So when we look at the Bible, we look at the, the beginning of creation and we go, that was beautiful and perfect. We lost that and the rest of it, we're trying to get back to that. And when we do, then we're going to understand how to get our other brothers and sisters back to that. And then, obviously, the end with the beautiful what's to come. 
But you have to understand that it starts with us, humankind, in the presence of our God. We were created to be in the presence with our Creator. A theologian, and I could not remember his name, and I couldn't, I only had the quote, but he argues, and I'm just going to toss this out there. He argues that when God says to Adam and Eve, where are you after they've sinned, that because they cut the connection with him, that where are you was a, was a, obviously God knew where they were because he was God, right? But when he's saying, where are you? He was saying, you've lost, you're gone from my presence. That when we made that step, we left the presence of God. And he's saying, son, daughter, where are you? Why are you no longer in my presence? You see, when we begin to understand the fact that we were created to walk with, the, with God in the cool of the day, all of the time, things start to make more sense. Because we're not striving all the time. One of the things that frustrates me so much with this, with the, with the, the church move where we have to do a certain thing, the lights have to be at a certain level and worship has to go for a certain time in order for God to come. God's going, it's so much easier than that. I, I made it so much easier than that. And we've gone and made it a, a heck of a lot more complicated. The very thing that we're doing here, the very reason that we gather, is to understand and walk in the presence of our Creator. Does that make sense? That needs to make sense in order for us to move on. <laughs> so is that, does anyone have any questions? Is that okay? I'm going to toss backwards and forwards here because I, I want us to start to, to challenge this. I want us to start to, to really, in, in, our, in our personal Christian lives and in our corporate lives, I want us to question the presence of God with ourselves and with our, with our other people to go, we are, we are in the presence of God right now. You know, it says when two or more are gathered, I'm there with them. It doesn't say when two or more are gathered and the lights are dimmed and we're singing a nice song or we're at a p- some position. Where two or more of my believers are gathered, I'm with them. Instantly that shows me the presence of God right there. But we push. Come on, let's press in for the presence of God. What? I want to start to question what that language actually is, is meaning. If you've got a Bible open, can you go with me to Matthew 7 verse 21? So if you're taking notes, the first point was man was created to be in the presence of God. Man was created for the presence of God. And the second point that I want to go to now from Matthew 7.21 is that often man will trade the presence of God for sacrifice or service. Often man will trade the presence of God for sacrifice or service. Uh, Matthew verse 7 verse 21. I just go there, hey? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I've seen this verse be cracked as a whip over people's back and, and be twisted and torn. But the reality of this verse is that God is, Jesus is actually saying, I want to be with you. 
and I want to know you. But so often in churches and in, and, and in, in ministries, we, we get so caught up in the how it's supposed to look, the what it's supposed to be like, that we forget the very reason that we're there. And the moment that we forget the very reason that we're there, we've, we've, we're wasting our time. And I know I've said this over and over and over again, but, but the reality of, of what I'm trying to, to instill into us is that we cannot ever trade the presence of God for sacrifice or for service. And this goes not just in the church, but in every aspect of our life. You know, how many times have, have, have we heard or have we done ourselves where people choose jobs over the, the need to press into the, to God or the fact that, that, that something else is getting in the way or something's not being done the way that I want it. We, we sacrifice the presence of God for something else. I spoke a few weeks ago about about um, Goma and his wife. Goma was his wife's name. Um, I just had a mind blank. Hosiah, thank you. Hosiah and his wife Goma. And that she was dancing with something else. She was out with other men. She, she failed to choose to, to be with, with her now husband. The, the understanding of that is that as a, as a church, as a people, we have to long to be in the presence of God. We have to long to understand that, God, everything that I do, I want you present in that. I want to be with you in that place. I want to understand you through whatever that is, my workplace, my job, my church, my home life, my family, as a dad, whatever it is, we want the presence of God in that moment. Because that's why we were created. and That's why we're here to be with God, to worship Him, to give Him our praise, and to honor what He's doing. Dave and Tree, I saw your little girl while I was worshiping, and she was just singing Jesus. And it, it, it broke my heart because I thought, man, I wanted to honor you guys for the fact that you are instilling in her the presence of, of the Lord. Instilling in her the fact that Jesus in every moment that you go through Jesus, in everything that we do, Jesus, the presence with the Father is what's important in everything that we do. And to watch her worship just now was, was incredible because it, it instilled the fact that that, present, that presence with God is what's most important. And to learn that from a kid, to learn that from, from a young age, to go, I don't know what's going on, but I need to go and spend time with my Father. You know, the fact that Jesus, while while in his ministry, would leave the disciples to sleep and go into the wilderness, shows us that he had something to do that was important in there. I need the presence of my God. And I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm cluttered in amongst you. I need to remove myself to go and get my head clear with my Father. You see, the, the, the model that we spoke about last year about Jesus teaching us was showing us that presence with our Lord God is the most important thing that we could ever do. That we remove ourselves and place ourselves in Him. I was listening to a, a Bill Johnson um, preach, and sometimes I like to go through the comments. I don't know why. I People write funny things on there, and sometimes I realize I've wasted 40 minutes reading angry people's comments. And I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I, it gives me the giggle sometimes. But I was reading this comment from this lady, and she was irate at the fact that 
of what Bill Johnson was teaching. But she was more or less saying, we were born, when we were born again, we were born with the presence of God. And in amongst her angry ramble, I thought, man, she's onto something here. That's what Bill was saying. You've misinterpreted what he was saying, but you're right. We were born with the presence of God. But so often we neglect the fact that he's actually there with us and we fail to listen. So Bill was talking about the fact of actually walking in that presence hand in hand with God and and having him speak into that situation. And she's saying, no, we don't need to do that because he's already with us. Yes, he is, but he's speaking and you're not listening. So when we get, yes, when we get born again, we become one with the Father and his presence is there. But like I was saying before, when we meet with a friend, when two or more are gathered, Christ is there, but are you actually allowing him to speak into that conversation? Or is he just auditing? And that was the thing that really challenged me. I was saying, darling, you are right. Yes, what you're screaming is right, but you won't listen to what, what's actually being said here. Bill was saying, draw on the Father while he sits with you. So when you go, oh, I'm a Christian, so God is also with me. Yes, he is. But do you realize that he's actually there? Dave spoke a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the fact that when, um, when he gets in the car, and he's driving on his own. He feels like he needs to talk to Jesus when he, he's sitting next to him. And you know, that challenged me and still challenges me. Because you get in and put the tunes on. And I'm, and I'm not trying to, to hustle everybody into you must always be talking to God. But what I want us to understand is that when his presence is with us, we need to acknowledge the fact that he's there. And walk in that acknowledging with God. Nothing must get in the way of the presence of God. We must allow time with Him to be our biggest priority. We have to prioritize the presence of our Father. And not just go, I know He's with me, but actually acknowledge that He's there, like I was saying before. Acknowledge that He's there and walk in that freedom. Walk in the counsel and the wisdom that He carries. Go with me to Psalm 84 if you are in the Bible. If you're taking notes, the first point was man was made for the presence of God. The second, often man will trade the presence of God for sacrifice or service. And the third that I want to talk about is the fruit of his presence. And I think that in the Bible, we see the fruit of the presence of God so evidently in Psalms because David spent so much time crying out to God. David spent so much time in praise of God, in worship of God. Some of the, some of the Psalms are David's rawest moments. God, I, I want to be with you. I want to know you. But he was also frustrated and angry and, and misunderstood. But the fact that he went to God with those frustrations, the fact that he went to God with those misunderstandings, is, is evident the fact that he wanted to be in the presence because he couldn't understand it outside of the presence. So what I'm going to do is I, I want to show you nine, uh, sorry, uh, 11, 11 fruits of being in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think so many of them are, are unusual. And, and interesting that that we don't realize when we're actually in the presence of God. 
And I think we, we miss the fact that we are in the presence of God. And then when we finish our time, we go, man, I wish, I wish God something big had happened. And you're saying, I was with you the whole time, and I showed you something, you missed it. The first point that I want to say is from Psalm, Psalm 84, 2 verse 4. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for the joy to the living God. The first, the first fruit of presence in God is continual praise. The first, the first fruit that we see of being with our Father is not being able to see how, see past how great He is. That we're in the midst of our struggles and we're going, God, where are you? I'm going to worship you regardless. When David sat, sorry, when, when, Paul sat in the, in the dungeon. He saw past the struggle that he sat in and he praised. And with that came the presence of God. That when he got to that place of, I'm going to praise regardless, the presence of God was there. So when we are in that place and we stand, why do we praise and we worship before um, at the start of church? Because we are longing and we are praising God and we are seeing his presence move in. We are opening up that gate to go, God, I know you're here and I'm going to praise you because you are here. If Jesus walked in the door, we would all have so many things to say to him about how great he is. It would be the first thing, I'd hope. I think most people would, would be in reverence of him because of what he carries. We would all want to tell him how great he is and praise the person. Every problem that you had would drift away about telling God how perfect and amazing he is. That first fruit of God's presence is continual praise. The second point is turning the valley of Baca from weeping into blessing. Psalm 86, 84 verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The valley of Baca was a, a, a pilgrimage route for the Jews on the way to the temple of Yahweh in, in Jerusalem. So it was, a, it was a pilgrimage route and it was a dry, barren wasteland that they would walk on the way to get to the temple in Jerusalem where they would worship Yahweh. And as they walked through that terrible place, they worshipped. They praised God. And the beautiful thing was that they turned that place, they brought the blessing in that God gave to them. So it says at the end there that the early rain also covers it with pools. They make it a place of springs. In their praising and their worshipping, they made that terrible desert land a place of springs. And in that time, God poured rain onto the place. So as they walked through the valley of absolute torment and dryness and desertness and sorrow and pain, they praised God and God gave them pools of water. You see, in that moment, like what Edie was saying this morning, in that moment is not to focus on the 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 pain and the suffering and the, and the torment, they didn't walk through the desert land going, oh, we're in a desert land. We're in a desert land. There's no water. There's no rain. They walked through that place and they focused on Jesus the entire time. So I want to say to you this morning, if that thing is you, if you are holding that place, turn that valley of Baca into a place of blessing. You have the ability to turn the desert land into a spring with pools. When we pull on heaven, when we ask God and go, God, you are who you say you are. And we worship him in that place. That land turns to pools. The dryness turns to water. I just want to emphasize there that it says they make it a place of springs. 
they made it, who the worshippers who were on the pilgrimage, on the journey. We need to stop looking at the, at the sadness and stop looking at the desert and start praising God in that place. Point number three is one of the most important places. Sorry, I need to... Sorry, go back to point two, turn the valley back up from weeping. When we're in the presence of God, he turned the spring, the, the, the desert to pools. In the presence of God. I forgot what I was trying to highlight there, I'm sorry. When they were in the, when they were in the desert, they praised God, his presence came and turned it into pools. A fruit of the presence of God is the blessing that he brings. Sorry. Point number three, I think is the biggest, most important, on my list, it's, it's highlighted as the most important, but it's probably not, is point number three is the shifting of atmospheres. That in the presence of God, atmospheres shift. The creator of, of everything cannot come into a room and have nothing change. It just, it just doesn't make sense. It cannot happen. So if there's depression, anxiety, or sadness, when we bring the kingdom of God, like what Brad was talking a few weeks ago, when we bring the kingdom of our Creator, that thing has to flee because we carry the light, the lantern. Sickness included. The presence of God brings with it a shift of atmosphere. Just to encourage this church, there's times where, there's times where um, Nathan Hay, the guy who leads um, Uniting City, who meet after us, has, has rang us and said, did you guys have a good service this morning? And we're like, yeah, it's pretty good. And he said, because I could tangibly feel a shift in atmosphere when I came through the door. To me, that is incredibly encouraging because what that says is that the presence of God was here. The presence of God was tangible in this place. So much so that when someone else walked through the door, they could feel it. Now, some of us are probably sitting and go, oh, "Yeah, I guess the presence came. I'm not really sure. No one really, no one really got healed, and we didn't see any gold dust, and no one really fell over." And yet, someone else walks in and goes, "Man, I could feel the presence of our Creator. Something happened in this place." You see, God doesn't move how you want Him to move all the time. I had a wish that I could have rang everybody when I heard that and found, and found out someone who had a massive breakthrough because I know God would have pulled someone through a breakthrough. And it might have been during the week, but the presence that they experienced with their fellow believers came from that place that it shifted their atmosphere. So I want to challenge you that when you walk into a room, you have the authority to carry with you a shift in that atmosphere because you carry the presence of God. Every time I go into a conversation with someone that I know is going to be a challenge, I pray, God, please shift this atmosphere. Take over and change this. There's many a time throughout the week where I go and meet with somebody and I'm thinking to myself, gee, I've got no idea what to say to this guy. I've got no idea what I'm supposed to be saying. I've got no idea how to help their problem. But I know God will shift their atmosphere if I carry with me his kingdom. And when we start to understand that that's the presence of God, that when I meet with somebody, there's two of us there, God is in our presence, He will shift that atmosphere. 
I have to allow him to do that and call upon him to do that. God, take this and shift this place. In your workplace, if your workplace is a terrible environment, you have the ability to shift the atmosphere in that place because you can call the presence of God into that place. In your home life, if your kid is playing up, if your your home is a mess, that's your place that the presence of God will shift that atmosphere. You have the ability to call forth the kingdom of, of God and step in and take control in that place. That's point number three, shift the atmosphere. Sorry, I didn't read the verse for that. <laughs> How can we not change when he is? Psalm uh, 86, 84 verse 6. How can we not change when he is in the room? In my opinion, this is the most important science of the presence of God. How can we not change when he is in the room? That's what Psalm says. David understood, I can't. If you're here, God, I've got to change. If you're here, my anxiety has to leave. My, my depression, my, my hurt has to leave because you are in the room. Point four, Psalm eighty-seven, verse Psalm eighty-four, verse seven. They go from strength to strength; each one appears before God in Zion. The fourth sign of of the presence of God is moving forward, growing from strength to strength. If you are stagnant, if you aren't moving, then something has to change. That's why one of the biggest things that we're trying to do is to to grow people. That's what the church is meant to do, grow disciples because we're taking people from strength to strength. God's presence is so inviting and so overwhelming that you can't help but grow in that place and go from strength to strength, from bigger thing to bigger thing. And sometimes it doesn't look like we're going from bigger thing to bigger thing. But if we trust that that God is truly calling us there, it's bigger thing to bigger thing. As we begin to trust the presence of God, trust the leading of God, when we walk in pardon me, when we walk in his his presence, we go, God, if you've called me there, it's from strength to strength. Because he's not about walking us backwards, he's only about walking us forwards. Point number five, favor and honor. The final one in Psalm eighty four. Psalm eighty four, verse eleven. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Favor and honor. When we're in the presence of God, there's favor and honor. And for so long, the church has told us that, that favor is not of God. It just says right there in Psalms that the favor of God will be on for those who walk with him. So often we get the joys of hearing people who, you know, someone gave them a car, someone, someone blessed them with, with lunch when they didn't have any lunch. You know, I'm sure all of us have a story where there's been favor and honor. That's the presence of God. That when you're standing there and you're thinking, gee, I wish someone would come and give me a hug. And God pours that out. I, I need finances to get through the next week. Someone pours that out. God, I need a job. And, someone, and you get a call the next day about getting a job. Favor on your life. The presence of God, when you're in the presence of God, you operate in favor from Him because He loves us. Bill Johnson said that honor is valuing, sorry, honor is valuing a person without, sorry, 
Sorry. Let me start that all again. Don't want to misquote anybody. Honor is valuing who a person is without stumbling who that person is not. When we honor somebody, we value who they are. We don't stumble on who they are not. When we walk in the presence of God, we get honor through Him in who we are. He honors the bits that we are. He honors the person that we are, the things that we're called to. He doesn't shoot us down on the things that we struggle with, the things that we fumble over. He honors us in that place. When we walk into our, our workplace, we're honored by those around us because God is in, in, in us pouring that favor and honor on our, on our lives. When someone comes to you and says, man, you do that well, the honor from man to man there. That when we're in the presence of God, we cannot be without favor and honor. Go with me to Psalm 16. So far, we have continual praise, turning the valleys of Baca from weeping into blessing, the shifting of atmospheres, going from strength to strength, and favor and honor. And 16 verse 11 is the fullness of joy. Psalm 16 verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to make a very bold statement here and say that if you do not have joy in your life, you are walking outside of the presence of God. The presence of God comes with it immense joy. Now let me, let me make it clear that joy and happiness are not the same. We go into churches and, we, and everybody's got this, <laughs> this fake happy on. I could almost tell that story, Jeremy. Um, I will tell that story. I had a guy that, that, that I knew and he, um, he frustrated the living daylights out of me because every time you saw him, he was over the top. He was over the top happy. And it gave me the irks because in my spirit, I, I just knew that this guy was... So you go in, you'd say hello and you, everything, everything's awesome. Everything's so good, it's amazing. And then two minutes later, he was telling somebody about how upset he is and how everything's hurting, but I'm happy. He refused to accept that, actually, mate, you're not happy at the moment. You're actually struggling with some things. No, 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 I'm happy. Because he misunderstood the fact that joy and happiness weren't the same. He was trying to, to not let go of joy by going, I'm happy. But to everybody else, he was, as, he was seemed fake because he carried with him this, this allure of everything's fine and dandy when everything wasn't fine and dandy. But the reality that joy is something that... that comes from inside of us that knows everything that I do is for the betterment of God. When I sit in this storm, I know that God has me. The joy of the Lord. That joy is not happiness. Yes, I'm, I'm, sitting, in the, I'm sitting in the dungeons. I've got no food, but I'm happy about it. Well, no, you're not happy about it. Because it's painful. And you're hungry. I, I'm not happy when I open a bill and it's, it's more than it should be. That doesn't excite me and, and make me jump for joy. I'm not, I'm not happy when I get a speeding fine in the, in the mail. But I don't lose my joy. Oh, Mary's going to get up me after that. I have to have a stern word for Mary about getting a speeding fine. She's just looked at me. She's eyeballed me after this. 
But we don't ever lose our joy in that. And that's the point, guys, is that we don't have to be happy all the time. These happy-go-lucky Christians where nothing ever goes wrong for them. And then people meet that guy and they go, oh, something actually has gone wrong for this. What, what have you done here? No, I'm not always happy. But I always have joy. I always have a joy in God that, that He has something for me that He has a way out for me, that He has a purpose and a plan for me. So while I walk through this storm, I'm going to battle with my emotions, but I'm never going to lose my joy because I know that God has something for me on the way out. And if it happens to kill me, then I'm going to go to be with Him anyway. So the joy of the Lord is still there. But it is terribly defeating if you are operating the place without joy. I often look at it as, as our joy is in our hope, our hope is in the Lord, and that's where it comes from. And you know, in in the psychology world, they talk about the fact that depression often breeds where there's no hope, because the depression gets darker and darker as we f- can further and further see a way out of it. I have no hope in getting out of this. There's no joy for me to return back to, and we we get darker and darker and darker. If things are struggling for you, chase the joy of the Lord and get that joy back. Last verse, I promise. Go with me to Psalm 91. I'm almost done. So that last one was the fullness of joy. Evidence of His, pro- of his presence is the fullness of joy. Trust me, if you are in God's presence, sorry, if you are in God's presence, you will be joyful. Nowhere in the Bible do we see where where God came and they were without joy. They were sad by God's presence. They were sad by Jesus walking in the room. They were upset. They were they were anxious and full of fear. No, they were full of excitement and joy because they, they understood who was in their presence. Psalm uh, what did I say? Psalm ninety one, verse one. He who dwells in the inner shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. In the presence of God, we have a secret place. We have a hideaway. That's point seven, a secret place. In God's presence, we have a shelter from the rain. We have a shelter from the torment. We have a secret place that we rest in. Point point eight, Psalm, Psalm 91 verse four. Deliverance. He will cover you with his pinions, which is the outer part of a bird's wing, and it was the the flight feather. That's the, the pinions are the the flight feather of, of a bird, and under his wings you will find refuge. His his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler, which was a shield that they wore on the outside of their forearm for close combat. Uh, was a buckler. I thought it was a belt buckle. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. I, I want to I stress the fact that point eight, deliverance is removing you from the suffering that you're in, not protecting you from, from going into that suffrage. Because so often the church has said that, that especially in, the, in, in more of the um, charismatic movement that we're in now, that Christians will never suffer. But we look at the Bible and we see suffering all the time. And we go, well, we shouldn't suffer. No, God says, I will bring you out of that suffering. You will go into it. 
He doesn't call us into it. He doesn't put us into it. But we do go into it. Because sometimes we have to run into the dark places to get the people that are in there. But he does say that he does say that he will cover you with his wings, his flight feathers to remove you. And under his wings you will find refuge as he removes you from that place. His faithfulness, his faithfulness is a shield from the pain and the troubles. That as he removes us from that place, we find refuge in him as he defends what people are throwing on their exit. The next one, number nine, is our protection. Psalm 91 verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. So number nine, sorry, number eight was deliverance. The pain that we're in, God removes us from that pain. Number nine, our protection from our own insecurities, our own fear. You will not sit and fear the night. God's saying, I will give you the strength to come through that. So the protection in that way is that he, he will remove from us the fear and the pain of sitting in the light and going, but what about the darkness? What about the thing that's coming? What about that bill that comes up? What about the, the not being able to pay something, not being able to talk to that person? God's saying, I will protect you from the fear that riddles your life. So he will deliver us from the pain and sorrow that we're in and he will also protect us from our own insecurities, our own fear of what's to come. Number 10. Number 10 is the, is the angelic presence. For uh, Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. As I said before, the things that we hear, the things that we all long to see, angels, the move of God, the the gold dust, the words that we have are all in his presence, but they're no in, more important than some of the others that we see. They are a part of his presence. And when we only focus on one of them, when we only focus on that, we miss all the other opportunities to sit with God. In his presence, we will see angels. We will see him move. We will hear the things that he says. We see that all throughout the Bible. The last one. Verse 11, answered prayer. Psalm 91, 14 to 16. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him in my salvation. The psalmist David is writing here from the perspective of God and God is saying, because he knows my name, these things I will do for him. The emphasis in this verse is that because he knows who I am, because he understands my presence, I will call forth his prayers. So sometimes we get so frustrated in our prayer life because we want the breakthrough, we want the breakthrough, we want the breakthrough, and God's going, you're focusing on the breakthrough. You're failing to focus on me and know my name and I'll bring forth the breakthrough that you seek. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him. Just before I close, I just want to stress the fact that for those of you who may have missed what I'm trying to say, 
You don't need to see all of these at one time to be in the presence of God. What I'm trying to highlight is that when we speak that language of we're longing for the presence of God, we're not just talking about the signs and the wonders. And I want you to broaden your, your understanding of the presence with God. That's really the basic thing that I wanted to do here this morning was for us to broaden our understanding that the presence of God is bigger than just signs and wonders. Because we get so caught up and so upset that, well, our church isn't seeing signs and wonders, so we're not seeing God move. But we're seeing answered prayers. We're seeing, we're seeing God move in other ways. And God, I want to focus on you because I want your presence to, to eradicate our lives to come in and just remove the man out of us and replace it with your presence. God is moving in this city and in this house. And He's moving in your life. He is present in your life. Don't mistake God being there because you haven't seen what you want to see. Look at the things that God is doing. Look at the fact that He's answering your prayer, that He's walking with you, that He's hearing your praises, He's seeing the, the, the thanksgiving that you're giving to Him. He's protecting you from that fear and that anxiety. He's delivering you from those places of, of pain and sorrow. And go back to those things. Go back to that testimony that you had a year ago where God gave incredible breakthrough. Don't forget that and look now and go, well, we're not seeing anything. God is moving and has moved in you. We need to remove ourselves from focusing on the fact that God's presence looks a certain way and actually understand that He is present in our lives and moving through us. Why don't you stand? When we learn how to stay conscious of God in our lives, we'll start to understand the power that we have all the time. Father, we just thank you, God. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you, God, that you are king among all kings, that you reign in this city, that you reign in this nation. Holy Spirit, right now, I just ask that you move into people's hearts and remove that, that thought of man that says that you're not moving him. That misunderstanding of your presence, that, that discontent for you in people's lives, God. And I just pray right now that for everyone in this room that we start to realize and see the presence of God. In every aspect of our life, we see the presence of God. Just ask Holy Spirit right now that you just come and begin to highlight your presence.